0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. Gracious Father, for this day, for all of our blessings, for uh, uh, engagements and promises and uh, your word given to us for this church, for all that we have from you in gracious abundance, thank you. Uh, Be kind to us now, and uh, we ask that you would be with us. um, Guard us and keep us and speak to us. Uh, Let your word uh, be made flesh and dwell among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, If you'd like a Bible, we're going to be going through John 1 today. and We might flip around a little bit if that's something you're interested in doing. Hey! Hello John, sorry, I'm sorry. that's alright, happy you are, thing? I'm okay, thank you. So we're going through for five more weeks, I'm not going through the Gospel of John by any stretch. Uh, we'll go through the first parts of the first half of John. Today, his prologue. Um, uh, if I had to, and I better repeat this, if uh, you're looking for a real fancy term... Uh, if you're looking for a hermeneutical key what's a hermeneutic um it's fun to have 50 cent words so you can impress your friends since y'all talk about this we 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 do hermeneutics all the time when you're opening up a web browser and going to msn.com or si.com whatever it is you're practicing hermeneutics hermeneutics is a big old word just means how you interpret a text or Uh, any form of communication. Could be something that you hear, could be something that you read, could be something that you uh, just absorb in some sort of apprehensive, there's a funny word, uh, capacity. Uh, And so hermeneutics, Um, lawyers are always doing hermeneutics. It's how do we interpret a text and it's like, well I do it this way and I do it this way and something can, you know, as, as soon as it's uploaded or printed or whatever else, you begin to do hermeneutics. So it's fun to sometimes ask what would be a hermeneutical key to the whole of the the whole of the scripture, and I would deposit John one one through eighteen, his his prologue, as uh, as one of the the hermeneutical keys, literally like a key put into a lock, you turn it. Not that the Word of God is is a mystery until you somehow find the magical combination, hail, and uh, and unlock it, but as a hearing aid which is a nice phrase as, a, as an aid, as a hearing aid to hearing scripture, how the words of the Bible become Holy Scripture through the Holy Spirit. And I would say John 1 is a good one. Um, John 1, uh, some of the familiar phrases, and we'll read it in a moment, the whole thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And without the Word, without this Word, nothing that had been made was made. And then later, famously, John 1, 14, a great Christmas verse, incarnation verse, but more than that. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And that Moses, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth was given through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus Christ, the only son, or the only begotten of God, or the only one. There's all sorts of ways to uh, to translate that. He has made him known. And so this whole idea that the word, this logos of God, this this ineffable abstraction but it's real just because something abstract doesn't mean it's not real we read something we know that a word on a page I mean it's real but you can't put it in a microscope but we know that it has effects best example I always bring up here is a uh, is this really unhelpful phrase that we use as parents sticks and stones may break our bones but names will never hurt me that's so not true I mean think about it from a three-year-old's perspective you know names will never hurt you and it's like well That's confusing because when she called me fat, it really hurt, you know? When he called me a dork, I mean, it really hurt. I mean, names hurt. Words have power. And so there's this sense as the word, which is, although you don't dissect it, it's real. It's very real. Uh, And it became flesh. It became enfleshed. It was made meat, incarnate, incarnate. And it was incarnated in front of us and it put on skin. And it, uh, and it dwelt among us. It tabernacled among us. It, um, it teepeed among us. Uh, and it was full of grace and truth. And Now, no one had ever seen God before, but now we see God. And this is the hermeneutical key to the scripture, where the words being made flesh in a real sense, from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 22, where the Holy Spirit takes these these abstractions and makes them concrete and takes these uh uh these things which were not but makes them are and delivers them to us uh with a power but full of grace and truth so now i'm getting ahead of myself because before we get there i'm going to look at a bunch of art today you know it's just I like what i do um let the job, i kind of absorb this while we talk about it before we get there, this is Jacob wrestling the angel, by the way, just to give you a context from Genesis 32. Before we get there, where the, the word was made flesh, uh, was incarnated, was made meat and skin and bones and hair and spit and, and, uh, and spoke and was hungry and thirsted and died. Before we go there, we have to go to the other part because that was no one had ever seen God until God made himself known by taking his word and making it flesh. Before that, we think of this. We think of God as he exists in himself. So the first words of the Bible and the first words of John 1, we kind of know this, in the beginning. And then Genesis 1 says what? God. (laughs) And we think about that. We stop right there. We're four words into the Bible, and already we have a lot to think about. Um, In the beginning, God, which means that God was already there before the beginning began, which is really weird. You know, that's the whole sort of, whoa, you know. Um, uh, I always think, you know, it totally dates it, but everybody's about my age. Um, Animal House, you know, Donald Sutherland's character, great character. It's like, wow. You know. um, in the beginning, God. I'm going to strike that from the record. So, um, um, didn't that endorse Colorado or anything else? There, but, um, before anything was, there was God. And that has to be known, and that God unlimited, God as he exists within himself, God totally free. That's the best word for it, that God is the only truly free to call God a being. So you can't even call him a being until he makes himself known, until he becomes flesh and bones and being. Because before that, he's just God. At best, he's an it. At best, he's a dark figure uh, that we know most likely as our adversary, before we know him as our friend, before we know him as the one who is for us and not against us. God, left to himself, is a threat. Um, and, And we get this. We get this in every other religion or in fairy tales or in any other way that we think about God, unhinged from being made flesh and dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. Every other way we think of God, we think of him as um, uh, capricious, like a Zeus figure or something like that, who could be nice to us, but he doesn't have to. He might be nice to us if he limits himself to some form of karma where we, you know, if we put in good stuff, he gives us good stuff, but if we put in bad stuff, he gives us bad stuff. God doesn't have to do that. If God is really God and he's truly free, God indivisible as he exists within himself, but sometimes called God in his absolute sense. Absolute means free, which is why we give the absolution and we're freed from our sins. Um, that the absolute God as he exists within himself, um, is, it is not at all self-evident that he is for us. Genesis 32. Um, here is Jacob wrestling the angel, uh, wrestling God himself. So he doesn't know who he is. At the beginning of this this part of uh, at the beginning of this story in Genesis 32, Jacob only knows that he's wrestling what we call at first the man or a man, um, uh, a dark figure, a neutered it, not personal yet in any way, shape, or form. Certainly, he wouldn't know that he is uh, he's for him in any sense. Uh, and Jacob tries to do it. it's real short. It's a very difficult passage. I talk about it a lot, but it's worth thinking. And this is one of my favorite. Prince. I've actually tried to find this. This guy named H. A. P. Grieshopper, who died in 1981. He's obviously a German. He was, uh, I think, he was born in like 1910, 1909, or something like that. So he was in the war. He was in World War II, fighting for the Germans. Um, was captured. Was sent to a concentration, not a prisoner of war camp. I think probably a better word. In Belgium, I think it was, where he was you know, mining um, for the uh, for the Allies effort. Uh, like most Germans of that period, trying to discern where is God? You know, who is God? How do we grapple with this great evil, especially from the German side of things, that we did? <laughs> you know, these were the commandants, were PhDs. Uh, they would go home and listen to Mozart. Uh, they, would, they would read Goethe. Um, they would read their Bibles. They were the inheritors of Luther. You know, these weren't, it wasn't like culture saved them. Um, they were trying to figure out who are we What in the world are we doing? I'm sorry, Liz. I keep trying to find a way that everybody can see. Um, uh, Greasehaber wrestled with that, like a lot of his contemporaries. Um, And he expressed it in art. And this is in a a book, but I can't find a print of it. That was the whole point of all that. I wanted to get one. Um, Jacob wrestling the angel. With this idea, especially with the colors, it just makes it a felt experience to me. Um, Where the equivocal... Uh, unnaturalness of it all it just kind of comes off the page um, you can't even tell where one being starts and stops, they're so enmeshed and intertwined, the feet aren't even exactly in the right place, you can't tell who's who and who's where, so I'd love some thoughts if you have them, um, but it's just so discombobulating disintegrating um, Cameron, sermon uh, Isaiah Peter, Peter uh, uh, I, you know, woe is me, I'm coming apart at the seams, which is also what we're going to hear in a minute, uh, that if we would see God, when Moses said, Lord, let me, let me see your glory. He says, you can't, you would, you would come apart at the seams. You would, you would melt. I don't watch, I'm not subscribed to many, um, Email list. The last thing I need is more emails. But a uh, man who's been here several times, Mark Golly, he's a great guy, um, who's the executive editor for Christianity Today. He's got a great email list. Um, comes out every Friday. It's very, very. It's short, but he gives really good stuff. And the last one is always something a little bit just kind of interesting. And the last uh, piece that he sent last week in his email newsletter was uh, was a simple two-minute video, and it was crazy, but it was really pretty. It's like ordinary things that look extraordinary, and and somebody did a really cool high definition video of pills dissolving in water. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I'm talking about it, um, and it was just like, look at this Tylenol, and then time lapse, and just you know suddenly spills into the water in this dish and all that. I'm saying all that because what there's the illustration of something just coming apart, just disintegrating, completely uh, being no more. A little bit of the Indiana Jones. And they open the ark, and then their face melts. That kind of thing. I mean, we don't have a word to describe it, except that uh, I was, but then in the presence of God, I'm no longer. <laughs> Woe is me! You know, I'm coming apart at the seams. Uh, uh, I, this is surely my end. Jacob wrestling the angel gets this. Here's the story. And Jacob was left alone. That's a, it's a it's a pregnant. Small ten verses, and I'm only pulling about six of them, where almost every word matters. It's a real tight literary piece here in Genesis 32. And Jacob was left alone. And a man, unformed, unnamed, indefinite article, not definite. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. The breaking, the coming to... Uh, revelation, and John's going to have all this in mind. I think this and many other parts from Reve- from uh, Exodus when he's writing his prologue. This is all the preface to the Word being made flesh and tabernacling or tenting among us. Uh, and the man, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day, until light came, until there was revelation, until there was sight, until the beginning stages of sobriety came, where you could see things as they actually were, until something could be clarified, classified recognized named all these things are not presupposed especially most especially when we're trying to imagine god who is this one of the primary themes we are going to be chasing in john who is this because unless god makes himself known we really have no answer we can say it's a rainbow but what about the what about the what about the hurricane we can say it's a, a pretty kitty cat, but what about mosquitoes and fleas? You know, we never think, oh, there's God you know, in this pest. Um, uh, Who is this? Who is this? And so the breaking of day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched. And this means just a, a light. And they've been wrestling, which is really strange, but the word there is very specific. I mean, they're so intertwined. You, know, you could feel the breath and the heat of the, of the, of the conflict. But then there's this other way that the man just goes, you know, suck this almost a brush with his little finger. All that's kind of pregnant in that word. And he touched his hip socket, and suddenly Jacob's hit was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Jacob, let me go. No, I'm sorry, the man. Let me go, for the day is broken. Um, the light is coming. Revelation is being known. With the touch, God, this, this ineffable it, this dark figure, began to make himself known. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Blessing is a relational word, unless you clarify the relationship between me and you. Who are you? Jacob is saying. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he, the the dark figure, the man, the the neutered it, said, uh, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men. So that's where we get the name Israel. He who strives with God, he who who has fought against God, he who has fought with God. We're not really sure how that breaks out, but that's what the word means, Israel, is he who has been in this conflict with God. Uh, For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name, reveal yourself to me. uh, but he said, why is it that you ask my name? Why do you ask? I've already shown you all that I'm going to show you. Later we'll find. There's more to come, but I've shown you what I will show you. Um, and there he blessed him. All that's in the background, I think. This uh, Before John begins his, his, uh, uh, his prologue, here at the beginning of his gospel, which he's doing what? He's writing his words that you may believe, so that you may have faith so that you may be given certainty. For if we're under attack like this, if we're Israel, we're striving with God and with man, uh, and we're trying and we're not sure, we're not sure, that's what we're seeking is certainty. We're not seeking understanding nearly as much as we're seeking, I'm okay. You know, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but I'm okay. Um, hope. Hope something solid to stand on, a rock, a fortress, something that's going to uh, protect me from coming apart at the seams, like, you know, Advil liquid gels. (laughs) You know, there we are. Um, Any thoughts there? There's more to say about this. I love this painting. Um, uh, This idea of God first known as almost an it until he reveals himself And we know it, and so we've got to be able to sort of hold both sides, because we know the hope that we have, which shall not disappoint us, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For I am convinced that neither height nor depth, nor angels nor demons nor principalities, nothing in all of the cosmos, be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Full stop, we know that, which gives us the freedom to go back and say, who is this God? If he didn't reveal himself to us, if he's not self-revealing in his very nature, because that's the only way, that's the thats the weight of the word being made flesh and dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. When we appreciate who God is, if he doesn't do that, then we realize this is, I have hope. I have belief. I'm being given something. I didn't even know it. Does that make sense? Any thoughts or questions? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mary. Um, when the man says, What is your name? and he says, Jacob, is that more of like asking Jacob to confess who he is? Because Jacob means deceiver and grabber and, grabber grabber and yeah. whatever. Yeah. Is that more to, uh, to confirm that Jacob really knows his worthlessness and his? Or whatever, is that I certainly think that's part of it. Um, I, don't know that I, could say, I don't know that I could say it. It's the whole of it. Um, but it's absolutely in there. I mean, what is your name? Deceiver, liar, he who grabs at the heel, chases, yeah. Uh, blessing, being relational. That's the way I define blessing. Because we bless God, he blesses us, we bless one another. It's a weird verb. Kind of on this still. I've been here for about three or four years. So if you're in my classes a lot, you hear me talk about this. I'm still trying to figure it out. Best way I can figure it is, how do we bless one another? How does God bless us? And how do we bless the Lord? Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. What does that mean? I think it means this. Oh, I see. The right relationship between me as a creature and God as the creator, full of grace and truth. When we see it's sobriety, it's clarity. This is the word of repentance. This is why I think, behold, we're going to hear it several times is the word that always signifies behind It's like, behold, oh, I had these glasses on, and now I've got a new set of glasses. It's a great AA phrase. And now I see things as they actually are. And this is blessing. Let us bless the Lord. Now I see that I am but a worm of a man. Say by his grace, I'm coming apart at the seams. But now he's lifted me up for no no good reason, <laughs> except that an existing God as he exists within himself. And he says, I know who you are. And I bless you. And now he blesses me, and that relationship is opened, that you may believe, that you may be given faith, that you may be faithed, the faith which is salvation, and, and, and lifted. And we bless one another. And now we realize that we're, you know, as has been said many times in different ways, we're nothing but mutual beggars who are telling each other where to find bread. Hey, come over here. Let me show you this man who who, who knew everything I ever did. You know, this is amazing. you got to come eat. The bread of life is among us. Um, I think that's what blessing is. It's just clarifying the relationship, whether it's God to us, us to God, or us to one another. The the, the three axes that I can discern as we think about the word blessing. So, who are you? (laughs) I'm a deceiver. Dark figure, please don't kill me. Um, Or maybe it's like, please kill me. (laughs) You know, let me end Uh, Be merciful to me, um, because sometimes it's more merciful to to end my life rather than to suffer this way. And he says, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and and have prevailed. He's like, what? (laughs) Blessing. He's like, I don't know what this means. That's okay. More is coming. More is coming. So let's keep going, um, because I want to get through to the hermeneutical key of the whole of the Bible. It's a big claim. Um, The text work within John 1. So the Lamb of God, we're going to be going there. We're going to go through the prologue to the first part, John 1 uh, through 31. A couple of verses that talk about the Lamb of God because we're going to hear that twice. We're going to hear it once, but it's twice in John 1, which speaks of, Behold, there's John the Baptist saying that word again, like here's your glasses, which now you can see clearly. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a word. What, you know, the significance of that? Just two places. Genesis 22, this is Genesis 32, but 10 chapters before Isaac uh, and Abraham. Abraham taking Isaac up, if I remember the story. Um, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. So we hear that echo, I am. Remember, that's going to be a big part of John. And he said, Behold, there's the word, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then in Exodus 12, this is the Passover, Right, 12 plagues of Egypt, right before he leads them out. And, and the, the Red Sea is parted, and they begin the 40 years of wandering, right up to that, uh, in the, what, 8th or 10 plagues or something like that. Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, just a branch, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. It's weird. Um, and touch the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter into your house and strike you. So there will be blood. <laughs> Uh, and the blood is going to have power. And it's going to have a power to allow the destroyer, the angel of death, to pass over you. If you're covered in blood, you will not die. The Passover lamb, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And so there's all sorts of fun pieces. Oh, um, to think about this, we'll spend some more time on this. The time march-a-thon. Um uh This. Has anybody seen this? in person i want to go have you seen it ron um it's in colmar which is in Als- alsace i think it's, how do you say this alsace in northern france northeastern france have you been there marnie um, near um, somewhere right on the, the french german switzerland border um, really interesting i've shown this a lot it's called the eisenheim Altarpiece, piece um, uh, where when it was in eisenheim now it's real close in a place called colmar uh, It was uh, painted in 1605, I think it was, um, and hung in a hospital uh, where they treated, it was a a monastery. Monasteries functioned as hospitals a lot back then, Uh, especially for people who were dying of different sorts of skin diseases. And we'll look at some details of this. Christ is covered in all sorts of lesions, something like leprosy and some other skin diseases. Uh, But for our purposes today, we're going to be standing over here. This is John the Baptist with a Bible in his hand with what Carl Barth called the long, bony finger, um, where he's pointing away from himself and pointing to the crucified Christ. And everything's disproportionate. I mean, look how large Christ is compared to the Mary's. Uh, uh, John the Baptist's finger here is so much larger than what what, what it should be in proportion. All that's in... in um, i uh, very much on purpose. The faded Latin right behind John the Baptist is John 3.30. We'll go through parts of this next week. John 3, uh, which says, I must decrease so that he may increase where it's completely referential. John's ministry is our ministry where he has no sense of self-promotion. Uh, in fact, it's really great. Um, I didn't notice this until this morning, in fact. Uh, they go to John and they say, are you the Christ? And remember how important I am, I am, I am, I am is? Seven I am statements. He says, I am not. <laughs> and in the Greek, it's like, it's ego me is I am, and it's ego me. I am not. It's very intentional. I am not the one. But he is. And he keeps pointing with his finger. So we're going to be looking at this. But other parts, before we get to the Lamb of God, which is right down here, um, uh Oop, wrong way um, though I love that one uh, this is El Greco right about the same time um, uh, the Greek um, I think this is called the Annunciation which you would almost lose it's this huge painting I mean I've seen some of his in, in, uh, uh, in, in Europe and they're usually like 15, 20 feet tall just massive elongated pieces and this is the Annunciation or where are the shepherds where the shepherds come and visit the Christ child you can see this right here with the light, but almost lost is this lamb with bound feet and this strong interplay between uh, the word being made flesh and coming among us as the Christ child with the lamb of God whose feet are bound, no mistake here, Uh, and the light goes on Christ and also on the lamb white as snow being given only for a sacrifice. There's, he's, this, this lamb is as good as dead. This child... I can cry when I say it. This child is as good as dead. Isn't that amazing? It's all pregnant right here in this picture. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My sin. Who killed Christ? That was me. That's me. That's me. Zuraban one of my favorites. Very, very stark. Um, uh I mean, there's a story about this. Um, a Spanish author who, a uh, few years after, um, author, painter, a uh, few years after El Greco, uh, painted this several different variants. It's always been one of my favorites. Just so vibrant, uh, just drips with a helplessness, uh, a poignancy, a moment is captured here with this lamb whose feet are bound and he's being given over to the sacrifice. Um, uh, this is uh, the, the altarpiece in its context, just so you can have some sense of its size and all in Colmar. As we look at it and move through it, um, let me hold that there and go ahead and read John 1, just so we can begin to grapple with the actual words, and we'll break it apart and think about the Lamb of God uh, who takes away the sin of the world. So things, because there's so much to say, we're not going to say it here, but... Um, it's just fun to go back through familiar passages and sometimes put different emphases on them because uh, there's a ton to talk about in John 1-18. through 18. Uh, It's the hermeneutical key of the whole Bible. Uh, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Just let, let's absorb the big picture where John uh, is going to be describing now. We're going to keep hearing this theme. I am doing this. I am writing these words. I am speaking this. And it's falling on your ears as a living and active word so that you may be given faith so that you may believe uh, these wonderful ways that he says it in John 20. Um, let me find my notes uh, where he says, Donde uh, John twenty thirty one. Remember, we looked at the end first. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We're about to hear this in John 1, um, John 1, 7, uh, that John the Baptist, the revelator, the one who reveals Christ, no one has uh, ever seen God, but Jesus Christ, the only Son, he has made him known. This is gonna be John the Baptist's word with his long bony finger. John came as a witness to bear witness about the light. Now we hear all that, the echoes of Genesis 1, that God made light, and now the light of the world is coming. Why? That all might believe through Him. And then another time in John six, where Jesus is kind of stirring him up. He's just read, he's just fed the five thousand, and he's about to do this long bread of life piece. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. In the really hard thing, where everybody, you know, many heard the saying and walked away because it was too hard. Before then. They're getting kind of excited and it's like oh the work of god what what must we do in order to do the works of god and then jesus comes and says uh the question what must we do to be doing the works of god and then jesus answered them this is the work of god that you believe think about that this is the work of god that you believe it's not where your feet are doing what your hands are doing what your mind's doing it's that you would be that you would believe that you would believe not just generally, but in a very specific object, that you would believe in him whom he has sent. John 1 wants to tell us about him whom he has sent. So here's John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He, very personal, um, unlike the, the man, the dark figure, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the whole part about darkness covered the, the face of the deep. I mean the echoes just go through. and these are all going to be themes that John chases throughout his gospel. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. this is John the Baptist. and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So there's our theme. He, John the Baptist, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And skipping down a few verses. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This dwelt, tabernacled, skaneo, I think is how you say it. Um, uh, It's the same word um, in Greek that the Hebrew would say. And then uh, when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, and they tabernacled, they set up these tents, these teepees covered with skin, and there God dwelt and cared for them uh, uh, even while they were wandering in the wilderness. And he brings all that over, and he puts that right here, and the word, this this unifying abstract word of God was now made flesh, sarks, carne, meat, bone. and he tabernacled, he tented, and he teepeed among us in an unhurried way. And he says, here I am. This is where I am. I am Yahweh made flesh. Uh, uh, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And there again, Exodus, where Moses went in and he said, "You know, let me see your glory. He says, you can't. You'll come apart at the seams. You'll be Advil in water. But I'm going to take you. Full of grace and truth, he graciously says, I'm going to take you, I'm going to lift you, and hide you in the cleft of a rock. So he's like this rock with a little crag. and he, I'm going to put you there, and I'm going to turn you around, and then, and then I'm going to turn around. I'm going to pass by covering your eyes, and I'll let you see my backside, which is really crazy. <laughs> your backside. The backside of God, is a, it's enough. <laughs> and his face shone with the glory of God. And Israel couldn't behold it. And they had to put a veil over moses because he shone with the glory of god and it terrified him because god was an other in it to moses he'd become a friend he who walked with god and then paul picks that up i mean, uh, will do that later um, uh, the glory is of the only son from the father full of grace and truth remember these things would not have been self-evident but now we are being given the self-revelation of god um, and John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me, because in the beginning was God. So before time there was there was the Word, and this is the Word who's now made flesh, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God. Who is at his father's side he has made him known he has revealed him Um, somebody will to know the word exegete Um, to exegete a text is to pick it apart that's what this word that's where that word comes from he has exegeted god he has got in there taken out his, his details and put it out in front of us so now we can approach now we can know now we are given into a relationship and then it goes real fast in john 19 And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites to Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, This is ego ueme, I am not. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So when they said, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And then going down, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, there's that word. Anytime that word, that's our signifier for this is what's really real and truly true. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so here's John the Baptist. I must decrease so that he may increase. Completely referential, meaning that he's referring not to himself, but always always, always pointing away from himself and to another. But look at this lamb. This is a grotesque picture. I almost didn't show it. I mean, just look at these feet and this lamb. And here's this lamb's neck. And blood is pouring out into what? A chalice. Can you believe this? And look at his feet, these gross, diseased feet. For the Lord was pleased to lay upon him the iniquity of us all. It was the it was the Lord was pleased to crush him, Isaiah says. It's just one of the worst words that I hear every year at Good Friday. It was the will of God to crush him. And here's this feet, these bleeding feet, and here's this spotless lamb holding a crucifix, holding a, a cross, bleeding into a chalice. And these are going to be John's themes. Brings it through. And all this is done that you may believe may be given, the, be given the certainty, the gift of certainty, not simply understanding. Oh, that makes sense. Doesn't make, no, so you may be given certainty. So our unsure hearts may be given the clear certainty of a blessing that says, I am your God, and I'm not terrible, not to you. I'm your Father, your Abba, and I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. I'll stop there that's going to be john's he's just going to keep going it's going to be a wonderful trip so let me pray lord that you are god and we are not um uh, woe to us uh, we are a people of unclean lips we come apart at the seams uh, saved by your grace um, but that you are full of grace and truth and you come and lift us up and do not destroy us but give us life eternal um uh, such knowledge is too wonderful for us. Uh, let that, hu- Armed with that humility, that certainty, uh, let us go forth into the world, strengthened by the comfort of your Holy Spirit uh, to, uh, to believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.